try that again. Good morning. That's, that's more like it. That's more like it. This is an R moment, just in case you didn't kind of get that. Um, it's kind of the last in this series um, that we've been going through based on Peter Cazero's book. Could have the next slide up, thanks, Nick. Um, emotionally healthy spirituality. Um, and um, kind of, uh, I confess that I feel a bit kind of sad coming to the end of it. That's the R moment. Oh, good, good. You kind of got it. I like, like a little bit of kind of audience participation. That all goes down well. It's good. Um, kind of the main premise of what we've been talking about um, is that if we're going to grow to spiritual mater- maturity, we also kind of need to grow up in every other way too. We need to grow up emotionally as well as spiritually. As Peter, not the Apostle Peter, Peter, I'm trying not to say his surname, Scazzaro, um, puts it, it's impossible to spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Um, and one of the things that's thrilled me is the way that people seem to have really engaged with what we've been talking about this term. Um, we've had a lot of positive comments. A lot of people remarked on kind of making sure they listen to kind of recordings on the website if they miss stuff in church and the fact that people have found it helpful. Um, and, and I know for me, I mean, I've, I've, one of the things I've, you kind of, I, I really love it kind of when you've been doing this job as long as I have when you suddenly start seeing things in a new way and feel like you're, you're learning new things. Um, and so for me, there's been a real sense of learning through what we've been teaching, kind of as well as teaching it, and that's been really good. But the standout thing for me has been the honesty and the vulnerability um, of those who have been speaking, their willingness to lower their defences and kind of share their struggles, and kind of be real about the issues that they face in life. Um, And and in a way, in some ways, that almost kind of gets to the heart of what we're talking about in terms of being emotionally healthy, willing to kind of lower the defensive barriers that we kind of build up around ourselves. Um, So today we're kind of bringing it into land, um, and there's two halves to what I'm going to say. Kind of, the, the, it, it, there's a long half and a short half. Don't panic. The second half is shorter than the first half. Kind of, just in case you kind of get worried. Um, so kind of, we're just going to pick up from that teaching about the Lord's Prayer. Um, if we go to the next slide. Thanks, Nick. Um, and, um, it's only recorded. It's fascinating. It's so important to us. Yeah, it's only, um, Matthew and Luke that record it. It's not in Mark and it's not in John. Um, Kind of when Luke records it, he gives a little bit more of the context for this teaching. Um, Jesus has been praying and his disciples have been observing him. And kind of how discipleship worked was that people would spend time with a rabbi, they would watch the rabbi, they would copy the rabbi, and then they would go off and do what the rabbi did. And so they've been watching Jesus's prayer life. Um, and it says one day Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished praying, his disciples said to him, teach us to pray. And so kind of he kind of gives them a model of how to pray. Uh, and kind of that's the prayer that is kind of so significant for us as Christians. Um, in our reading that kind of Denise said, read for us, thank you for 
coping with the fact that I changed it yesterday. Um, I appreciate that, Denise. Um, kind of the, the opening line, I think, speaks into what this whole series has been about. And if we could have the next slide. Thanks, Nick. Um, it, it, it says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be a hypocrite. Um, and if we go to the next slide, kind of our word hypocrite comes from the Greek word hypocritus, something like that. I'm not great at pronouncing these things. Um, and it literally means an actor. Um, and it actually, it has quite a specific meaning in the, in kind of the culture, um, of Jesus's day. Um, kind of it was someone that, that acted out a part on stage. Um, and they acted in a one-person play. They were the only actor on the stage, and they acted out the whole play themselves. And if we go to the next slide, the way they did it was by using masks. Um, they were put on different masks for different characters, or more importantly, they were put on different masks for different emotions. So they would have an angry face. And they would kind of put that up. They would have a happy face. And they would put that up. Um, they would have a sorrowful face. And they would put that up. Um, and throughout the play, you never saw the actor. You just saw the mask that they held up to cover um, their face. Uh, I just find it a little ironic that one of the chief criticisms, and I'm sure you've all heard it, of Christians, you probably cringe every time someone in your workplace or, one, or in your family says it, is that Christians are hypocrites. Kind of, you know, am I the only one that's heard people say that? Has anyone not heard people say that? You know, that would be kind of, I mean, you know, if you haven't, that would be great. Um, and it's this kind of, kind of thing that you kind of see in the, in the, in the passage that Denise read. Kind of, it's all, you know, the, the implication is that Kind of Christians like to claim they live one way or that they're better than others, but actually they're no different to anybody else. Um, that's not just bad news for the gospel. It's really bad news for the gospel. But actually it's bad news for us if we feel obliged to hide behind a mask. Jesus is saying, don't come to God with a mask. We would never do that, would we? Um, come as the real you. Um, and it seems to me that what's made this term so powerful um, is kind of that's at the heart of the teaching of this book about being prepared to let down the barriers, take away the masks and be ourselves. That's what those that have been teaching have been willing to do, to share themselves and to share their struggles to leave the mask behind. And Jesus is saying to all of us, come to me as you are. Come as the real you. Come with your pain. Come with your sense of, of shame, of not being good enough. Come with your doubts and with your questions. Um, let me see you as you are. Don't hide behind a mask. And actually, let others see you 
don't hide behind masks to them. And we'd never do that, would we, of course. Um, and so I found myself asking that question, why do we cling on to our masks? And I suspect, I don't know about you, um, I suspect when, when I kind of put, you know, it's that classic thing, I'm quite enjoying people asking me at the moment, how are you, Chris? Uh, because I can actually honestly say, actually, I'm pretty good. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I'm in a very good place at the moment. Um, I feel really excited about church. I feel really excited about life. I am enjoying my life. But believe me, over the years, there are a lot of times when you've asked me that question and I've said, I'm fine. Kind of that I'm fine phrase is kind of, in my vocabulary, is quite telling. It probably means life is absolutely rubbish, but I'm not, I, I don't dare tell you about that. Um, and if I was to tell you about it and take the lid off it, then actually potentially that might be a bit messy. It might let stuff out that I don't want to let out. And it might reveal a me to you that I would rather you not see. Now, I do know that most of you have known me long enough that, to know that you don't really want to stick your vicar on a pedestal, that I'm no saint, that I'm a kind of, I have feet of clay, um, that I have the same weaknesses that you have. But sometimes it's really tempting to think, oh, you know, vicars, they've kind of got it all sorted, haven't they? Um, and, that, and that's what people think about Christians sometimes, isn't it? Oh, they've got it all sorted. And actually, it's not that we've got it sorted. It's actually that we know we need help, isn't it? That's what it really comes down to. We know we need help. We know we haven't got it sorted. But it's easier to stay behind the mask, to put on this pretense that everything's fine. Um, and, um, and it seems to me one of the reasons why we do that is actually, you know, it would be very dangerous to let the mask go. It would be very messy to let the mask go. But also I think there's an issue that frequently it's because we don't really like who we are ourselves. Um, and, um, and if we don't like who we are, then our expectation is that if others saw who we are, then they wouldn't like us either, and they wouldn't want to know us. Um, and that would be, and we don't want to face that rejection of being vulnerable and putting ourselves out there in such a way that others could reject us if they saw us as we see ourselves. Um, so we try to present what we think others would like to see. Um, and then, of course, the people that really know the truth are our husbands and our wives who kind of go, who do they think they're kidding, you know? Um, <laughs> they know what we're like at home, what we're really like. Um, and, of course, if we do this to others, there's also a danger that we do this in our relationship to God. We sanitise who we are. We, you know, we, we, we kind of create a barrier. It may not be a mask, but a barrier between us and God because it would be too dangerous to be our real selves. Um, so why is this such bad news? Well, it's because the problem with masks is that the more we adopt a persona, the more it becomes who we are. Um, we stop being able to separate out what we project to others with the real person. Kind of, it, we, we, can't, we, we become kind of controlled by the mask. Um, we're frightened that if people see the real us, they'll reject us. And we find it hard to believe that God could really love us as we are. And so the mask becomes our security. We can't let it go. 
we suppress what we really feel. Um, we repress who we really are. And there's another side to this coin. Um, if we don't like who we are, um, if we don't like ourselves, um, if we are angry with ourselves, if we are ashamed of who we are, then it is a very, very short step to thinking that that's, to painting that sort of picture of God. That that's how God feels about us. That the God we believe in is angry with us just as we are angry with ourselves or, or is ashamed with us or disappointed in us. Um, So we've been doing disclosure. Let's do a little bit more disclosure. Um, I think I would be classified um, as a late developer. I know it's a bit kind of late to be realising that, isn't it? You know, I am 60. By now it would have helped if I'd worked that one out a bit sooner. I think I've known that all along. Um, Kind of of thinking back to childhood, um, kind of, for me, school was an incredibly painful place. Um, I just... Yeah, I, I had a, such a strong reaction against school that I was frequently verging on physically sick just at the thought of going to school. And as you can imagine, my parents were worried about this and talked to the school. Um, and the school kind of tried to get into damaged imitation with me. And their way of doing that was c- kind of trying to make my parents' expectations of me um, kind of manageable. They literally told my parents that they would be lucky if I could hold down a job as a dustman in the future. I've said this before. Um, that, that was about the level of expectation they had from me educationally when I was in primary school. Um, sometimes <laughs> I, 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 see, I have a mean side as well. Um, kind of when I, when I was ordained I was in the same deanery, not the same parish, as the school um, that, I, that I went to. And the, the vicar of the parish that kind of had the school and I grew up in thought it was wonderful that a pupil from that school had been ordained and was now serving their curacy in that deanery. And they asked, would I go back to the school and kind of do something at a school prize giving? And I said, not on your life. I, I, you know, literally, I was too scarred by my experience in that school. There was no way I wanted to go back and thank them for what they did for me because they'd have had me pushing a dust cart. Not there's anything wrong with pushing a dust cart, don't get me wrong, but kind of they misread me badly. And it impacted my parents. Um, my mother, who, as you would know, is a very kind lady, um, felt sorry for me. And so kind of... Because she was told this, and my, both my parents left school at 14, so kind of they, you know, they believed what teachers told them. You know, teachers were the expert, they were the professionals. You know, kind of that, so that's what, you believe what a teacher says, so that must be true. So um, if I couldn't do homework, or didn't want to do homework, my mother's thought was, well, he can't do it, why make it any worse for him by trying to make him do it? So kind of they moderated their expectations of me, in the light um, of what the teachers had said. Um, You know, it it was too painful otherwise. Now, my father's response was different. And I would say was probably the most, for me, the most scarring. Um, I always had a feeling with my dad 
Um, and sadly, probably it lasted all of his life, really. I, I don't think it ever really changed. That whatever I did was never good enough. Um, and I think I realised too late why, he, why the way he acted left me feeling like that. Um, kind of, I can remember when I was at theological college, they always wanted to know how I had done at the end of every semester. And there was no phone call I hated more than ringing my parents. And it sounds crazy. I'm, I'm nigh on 30 at this stage in my life. You know, I'm a grown-up, you know. I'm meant to be a grown-up. Um, and ringing them and telling them how the term had gone was the worst part of the term. I hated it because no matter what I said, there was always a sense of disappointment on the end of the phone line that what I had done wasn't good enough. Do not get me wrong, I was not an A-star student. Kind of, I, I, if, if there had been an exam in playing table tennis or snooker, I might have been an A-star student. Um, but kind of, I kind of got, probably, I got more, I probably got a lot of Bs, I got some Cs, and I got occasional As. Kind of, so I was somewhere there. Um, and um, kind of, but my father's response was, Kind of, it was almost this intake of breath on the phone when I told him that left me feeling like, oh, it's just not good enough. Still not good enough. Um, it was kind of the, and I, and I, it's only later that I realised, and I think my mum took the lid off it, and she said, you know, it was because he was always frightened that you would fail. Because of what had been said when you were young, you know, it wasn't that he, that it wasn't good enough to him, but he was always frightened that, you know, it would all kind of go wrong because actually you couldn't really do it. And that was kind of his, that, that was hit, that was hit, that, that, but that left me with the impression that what I didn't, what I did wasn't good enough. How do you think that made me feel about who I was as a person? How do you think that made me feel about how God, bearing in mind God is our father, if that's my response to my earthly father, how do you think it made me feel about what God might feel about me? For years I lived my life with a sense of whatever I did for God would never ever be good enough. Um, that kind of, that I would be a disappointment to God and it would be, it wouldn't be kind of well done, faith, good and faithful servant, it would be well, you kind of did all right, I suppose, kind of thing. Um, it's so easy to define ourselves by how we, fit, you know, how we feel about ourselves. And it's so easy for how we feel about ourselves um, to be defined by others' reactions to us. Uh, and you can kind of see a little bit of my story and why masks can become a really attractive thing. Yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Um, what we need to do, and this is taking part one down to land, and really this probably ought to be the end of the talk, but I won't because I'm never good at doing that. What we need to do is to learn to define ourselves as beloved, as loved by God. Um, to let God into our lives 
and to let others into our lives without the mask. You see, the powerful thing about church is that we don't just do this thing on our own. Um, There is a sense of we are reformed by seeing ourselves as God sees us. You know, that's part of the transforming of our minds and the transforming of our lives is to realise who we are in God and how God feels about us, that we are precious in his sight. Um, and for me, that finding that revelation was, was liberating and completely set me free and also enabled me to understand my parents and to accept my parents and not hold against them kind of how they responded to me. I would never have said this if mum was still alive, by the way, is that there's a liberty to say this that I wouldn't have had before because I wouldn't have been able Because I know it would have grieved her, if that makes sense. Um, but I hold nothing against her for that because of how God has reformed me inside. That knowledge that I'm loved by him and I'm accepted by him changes how you see everything on the outside. Um, and kind of that's part of my, you know, kind of that is something that God has spoken into my life and God wants to speak into all of our lives. Um, and part of the way he does that is through each other. That actually the things we say to each other have the potential to be life-changing. That's the significance of prophecy, isn't it? It's to, to build people up, to edify people. When people speak a word from the Lord, it can be freeing and, 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 and life-giving. But it also just be, should just be about our conversation and our relationships as believers. That the stuff we speak into our lives becomes the word of God to us, but given to us through those that are around us. And that's why masks are such a problem. Because if actually everyone thinks you're fine and no one sees beyond the mask, how can they speak truth into your life? You can't receive it. Because they don't think it's needed. And they don't even necessarily know the real you. We need each other and we need to lower the masks. We need to live our lives as beloved by God. I'm really glad you've stayed with me, Nick. Because I've forgotten I was meant to be telling you slides. Thank you. Okay, part one. In a way, look at the time, I could stop here. You know, that's probably enough for all of you, isn't it? For one morning. Um, You probably don't need any more. Um... And probably what we ought to do is just do some ministry now and all pray for each other in all honesty because if you're sitting here and you don't need it, you need to be praying for everybody else, believe me, because a lot of us do need it. Um, There's an unfortunate issue that if I don't do this, I think there's stuff that Peter Cazero has to say that I can't deal with with any detail whatsoever, but I think we'll miss out on. So what I want to say to you is, if God's speaking to you through what I've just said, You can switch off now, okay? You can just stay with him and ask him to reveal as you sit here how he feels about you, that he loves you, that you're precious. You can completely forget about what I'm going to say now. But but I need to say this because I think this, for me, this sets up an agenda for us as church that we need to think about and we may think about next year. I was thinking, what would we do next? And for me, this kind of sets up an agenda. There's this big question. How do we live this out? How do we live that out? How do we live out knowing that we're beloved by God? How do we live out a life that lowers the mask? And actually, I think that's part of what's going on in this passage. Um, Jesus isn't just giving them a model for prayer. 
He's starting to give them a way of living, a way of living that is in dependence on, on God, um, and that is a healthy way to live to enable them to fulfill the potential that God has placed in their lives. Um, and Peter Scazzera argues that for us to flourish emotionally and spiritually, and this is where you're going to want to switch off, don't, you're not allowed to, we need a rule of life. Now, don't swish off, because most of you, as soon as I say you need a rule of life, they're going, how can you say that now? You've been talking all about this emotional stuff that's really real, and now you're saying we need a rule of life. That sounds like legalism. How is that going to help me, other than make me feel that I'm not good enough, because I can't have a quiet time, and it never kind of works out for me, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, This is not meant to be negative. It's meant to be positive. Um... But rule does have all sorts of negative connotations. The idea of a rule of life comes from monasticism. It began with the desert fathers who kind of disappeared in the desert so they could just spend time with God. Um, And they began to adopt patterns of how to live. Kind of monastic orders started to integrate it. And probably it gets most refined by people like Benedictine and the Benedictine orders and their kind of rule of life. A rule of life isn't just about prayer. It, is, it includes the, yeah, the scriptures and studying the scriptures. It includes making space for silence and solitude in our lives, um, for daily prayer, for, for Sabbath, for stopping, for simplicity, for recreation, um, for serving, for, uh, for, being emotion, for, for looking after our emotional well-being, for investing in family and in community. Um, there's a massive amount to a rule of life. And as soon as I've said that lot, probably half of you are sitting there thinking, no, I can't do that. My life is too busy. I can't do any of those things. It's actually about finding a balanced way to live. It's not about adding a whole load more rules. It's about finding a way to live that's healthy. And one of the reasons why I can stand before you now and say, I feel all right. It isn't just good because I feel excited about work, my church, but actually I just feel like my life is a bit more balanced than it might have been at other times. And that doesn't mean when I spend hours reading my Bible. Actually, it, make, it means at times I spend time with my camera in my hand and things like that. There's a balance in my life that's life-giving and healthy that hasn't always been there. So a rule of life's a positive thing, not a negative thing. Can I have the next slide? This, is, this wonderful work of art is my back garden. Who knows what it is? It's a trellis. Even the non-gardeners know it's a trellis. There's not a lot on that one. If you went down a bit, you'd see there's a cherry tree below it. Um, the whole idea of a rule, again, if you're going back to its meaning in the original language, is all about a trellis, something that supports life. Um, it's not meant to be something that contains us. It's something that supports life. So this is the trellis next to it. You can hardly see the trellis for what's growing up it. It's still like that. But a bit of bragging, there's not a lot in my garden that's going well at the moment. But my cup and saucer plant is still in bloom um, on my trellis at the moment. And I'm still enjoying it from my kitchen window. A rule, like a trellis, supports growth. It upholds us. It gives us strength. It all enables growth and 
fruitfulness. Can I have the next slide? Um, kind of, it's, it allows things to flourish and to become what God intended them to be. Um, and again, the next one. It ensures that kind of fruit can form um, and fulfill its potential. It's not about duty. It's life-giving. And it's life-sustaining. And that's why I was saying kind of my photography is actually part of my rule of life. It's something that gives life to me and allows me to see life, I think, as God sees it. Um, we're not meant to let, work out a rule of life alone. We're meant to, um, to, to do it in relationship with, with others. It's about enabling our relationship to God to flourish. So if you kind of think about that trellis, it goes upwards to God, but then there's also the other bars that go out to the side. It goes out to each other. We need each other in this. And it's interesting, the context in which Jesus gives us this prayer is in relationship. The disciples have watched him, they've lived with him, they've shared their lives, and there's something about him that he's got that they want, and they say, would you show us how to do that? We're not meant to do it alone. We're meant to do it in relationship. Um, it requires the masks to come down so people can see who we are and can enable us to grow in our lifestyle. That we can have relationships that aren't superficial. Anyone here got lots of superficial relationships? I'm really great at superficial relationships. I can talk about football with anyone at any time. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a good thing to talk about, but, you know, actually it's much harder to get below the surface and have real relationships, isn't it? Some of you have just found me out, haven't you? Yeah, I was talking about football with Mike earlier. <laughs> much easier than um, saying, how are you, Mike? Really? <laughs> you know? Um, and sometimes there's a time and place for that. You don't necessarily want to bare your soul as you shake someone's hand at the door of church. Um, but we can have super relationships or sanitised relationships. We need to build deeper relationships. Um, this is also something that is countercultural. Um, we live in a world that, um, that is dominated by image and perception. And this is saying that actually it's not image or perception that matters. There's a better way to live. And actually, as Christians, boy, is there ever a time that we need to live a different way. Um, and so I'm going to just finish with watch this space because it, as I kind of thought about this stuff, it left me thinking, you know, we, we need to unpack more of what it means to have that sort of rule of life that isn't about putting another load of obligation on people um, or, or, or pressure on people's lives, but finding ways that enable us all to live lives that are healthy and, and life-affirming. Does that make sense? So kind of watch this space. We might do some stuff on this in Lent, I'm thinking. Um, it wouldn't it be great to have a life-affirming Lent? Anyone up for a life-affirming Lent? That sounds good to me. Okay, I'm going to shut up. Um, and, and as I shut up, I want to take you back to that whole thing about being beloved of God. And um, um, kind of what your masks look like. I'm sure you haven't got any, really. Um, when we come to communion, 
I have not asked anyone to do this. This is a step of faith. If you kind of have done the prayer ministry training at St. Matt's and you wouldn't mind being available to pray for people, could you just kind of arrange yourself along that side, that wall, after you've had communion? And so if you would like someone to pray with you, they would love to do that after you've received the bread and the wine at communion. Come to Jesus, receive from him, and then let one of your brothers and sisters just speak God's love into your lives. Thank you.